All right, we're going to get right into the word of the Lord today. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I get on weekends like this to speak the word of life into your heart, into your life. So I want to invite you, uh, if you will, grab your Bible. And last weekend, we started a little two-week mini-series on prayer in John chapter 14, looking at the words of Jesus about the power of our prayer. Today, I want to go to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to look at some more of Jesus' words on prayer. How many of you think he's probably the authority on the topic? I want to tell you, as you're finding your place in Matthew chapter 6, we had an incredible prayer gathering on Wednesday night this past week. And I, right on the heels of of preaching this series last weekend, we had uh, a great crowd. We had probably 35 people here last Wednesday night, and we just met with God in a powerful way around these altars. And I just want to echo something I said last Sunday uh, in the service, and that is this. God is doing some great things in this church, and it is directly connected to what's happening from 7 to 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. I I want you to hear that. You know, a lot of people come into the church, and they want to know their next step, and we've got a card that's literally sitting in front of you saying, next step. Well, can I tell you, One of the best next steps you can take is just to show up at the prayer gathering, to just come at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, because everything we do as a church is driven by prayer. You're going to hear the vision on Wednesday nights. You're going to sense the direction the Lord is leading us on Wednesday nights. But this thought was in my mind recently that prayer is not just the, the core of what God is doing in our church spiritually. It's also the core practically. And let me explain what I mean by that. A lot of us, we, we've been here through the process of God uh, growing this church numerically. And I've yet to meet a Christian that, that doesn't want more people to be saved. I mean, I know some of them act like it, but none of them have said it. All of us want people to be saved. All of us want to see the kingdom of God expanded, but... We're also all human, and I know that even though we all want the kingdom of God to expand and to grow, every one of us have felt the growing pains and sometimes the discomfort of, of what it means when more people get saved. You know, you, you lose your, your best parking spot. You, you lost your, your row. You used to have these folks that you stood and drank coffee and talked with every Sunday, but now they go to a different service. And, and the core of the church is split up into three services on Sunday morning. And, and I just want to say practically, the solution to that is that the core of the church gathers on Wednesday night for prayer. And we've had such incredible times of fellowship before and after that hour. And so I, I want to encourage you, if, if you're missing that, that connection piece to the body of Christ, and you want to be a part of what God is doing, be a part of the midweek prayer gathering. Now this Wednesday, I have to say this after all of that, this Wednesday is going to look a lot different because we're taking one more Sunday uh, in the summer months in the warm weather to canvas this community. We're doing a prayer walk this Wednesday night, weather permitting. They're calling for a 100% chance of rain right now, so we'll see how that goes. But the plan is to take flyers and put them on every door in this community and simply invite people back to church. So we need a lot of volunteers to make that happen because there's a lot of blocks in Wrightsville, and we're going to cover all of them. So today, in saying all of that, I want to lean right in to this thought of prayer one more time. A.J. Gordon said this. He said, you can never, or he said, you can do more than pray, 
after you've prayed. You can never do more than pray until you have prayed. And I think that's right. So oftentimes we look at prayer as the, uh, the prerequisite for the mission. You know, you have a meeting and you say, well, let's open the meeting in prayer. And then we get to the agenda. Or we're going to have a service, so let's open with prayer and then we'll have the service. But can I just tell you that, that prayer is not the prerequisite, prerequisite. Prayer is the agenda. Prayer is where we do business with God. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 talked about prayer very practically. And I, I think it would just do a lot of good for us to look at the words that he said in Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to begin in verse 5. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. Now, here's what I'm not going to do this morning. I'm not going to waste any time trying to convince you as a Christian that you should pray. In fact, Jesus never did that. Jesus just opened this teaching with saying, and when you pray. It, it was an assumption that if you are a child of God, you pray. Amen? Prayer is the way that we communicate with God. And if you're going to have any relationship worth having, either here on the earth or in heaven, you got to communicate. And all the wives said, Amen. You got to communicate. You got to tell me what you're thinking. And so God has given us prayer as a means of communicating with Him. He doesn't say you should pray, He just said when you pray. Then He said this this is the first thing if you're a note taker, don't. Do it like the hypocrites. How many of you think that's good advice for a lot more than prayer? Just don't do it like the hypocrites. He said when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. And Jesus is, is drilling down on something. He's not talking necessarily about their accent or the words that they use, though he will touch on that in a minute. What he's emphasizing is the heart motive behind their prayer life. In fact, three different times in this passage of scripture, which this is, by the way, just one point in Jesus' sermon on the mount. So if you've got lunch plans, you can be glad I'm only preaching one point of Jesus' message in the sermon on the mount. I don't got time for all of them. Might not have time for all of one point, but we're going to try. Jesus says three times in this message something about the heart motive. And he, and, he, and he couches it in this phrase. He says, you have heard it said, and then he tells them about an outward action that people did or were supposed to do. And then he would say, but I tell you, and then he would speak about the heart motive, the condition that's going on on the inside. And can I tell you today, God is concerned about what's going on on the inside. He's not impressed with your King James vernacular. He's, he's, he's not impressed with the volume of our prayers. He's looking at the heart, amen? And so Jesus, on three different places in Matthew chapter 5, says that. L look at verse 21 with me quickly. Matthew 5, 21. He said, you've heard it said that uh, to the people long ago, you shall not murder. That's an outward action. Still a good command, but that's not what he's emphasizing. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to to judgment. So Jesus goes deeper than the outward action, right to the motive of the heart. 
I'll show you one more. In Matthew 5, verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Outward action. Still a good rule. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's he doing? He's saying your motives matter. That, that yes, when you pray... What you say matters. Words have the power of life and death in them, Proverbs says. But the motive of the heart is what God is looking at. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, when he said that, he was actually talking about the Pharisees, who, who were probably standing there listening. So this is a very awkward moment Jesus has just created. Now, for us, when we say Pharisees, we think, like, because you know the Bible and you've heard the story and the word Pharisee is almost a derogatory term for us. It's synonymous with the enemy. And so we don't think too much about it. But can I tell you, when Jesus said that to that crowd, when he said, don't pray like the Pharisees, those were the men that, that led the Bible studies. Those were the men that, that prayed the best, gave the most, attended the most often, opened and closed the meetings. So when Jesus said this, it was shocking. Jesus was saying the people that you might think to be the most anointed, the most spiritual, the most prayerful, God's looking at their heart, and their heart is far from me. And so don't pray like they pray. I, I don't know if you knew this before, but it's true. You can actually have a prayer life and be completely ineffective in it. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, he says at the end of verse 5, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, the recognition they got, the attention they got from everybody else at the temple that day, the, the impression that they made, that's all they're getting out of their prayer life. They've already gotten their reward in full. I'm not answering those prayers. That's what Jesus is saying. So then he says, when you pray, Verse 6, look at it with me. Matthew 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you publicly. Now, can I just say, if you just take this verse at face value and apply it to your life, you're going to get somewhere this week in your prayer life. All right, let's, let's not get... Let, Let's not get too deep into the text that we just missed the obvious instruction. I think Jesus was saying you should literally go into your room. You should actually close the door, and you should sincerely pray to your Father in heaven. Let's not complicate it. What if we just did that this week? What if you just made up your mind for at least a few minutes every day, I'm going to go into my room, I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to pray to my Father. Jesus says the Father will see what's done in secret, and he will reward you for it. But I do believe there's something more that Jesus is saying. And, and I feel strongly that he's saying more than you just need to keep your prayer life in your bedroom. Uh, for one reason, because when you read the Gospels, most of Jesus' praying happened outside. You notice that? It's kind of funny that he says go into your room because he prayed outside all the time. And, and the Bible says Jesus had no place to lay his head, so I'm not even sure he had a bedroom. When he said this, much less a door to close. So there's something deeper that he's saying to us when he tells us 
how we ought to pray. And what I believe he's saying, number two, is this. When you pray, go into your room. And by going into your room, you're going away from something else. Maybe that's the key. Maybe it's not what you're walking into as much as it is what you're walking away from. When you pray, Jesus is saying, be intentional. Get to a place where you can hear from God. How many of you have experienced the the difficulty of trying to hear from God when you're distracted? Trying to hear from God when you're trying to do a bunch of other things. There's something powerful about just getting into a place. And that's why I believe our, our, our prayer gatherings are so powerful. Because there's one thing on the agenda. Prayer. And there's something powerful when you get to a place where you're focused and you're saying, God, I just want to hear from you. I think one of the greatest prayers that you and I could pray is the one that the priest Eli taught Samuel to pray as a child. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 9, the little boy was hearing voices and he didn't know where they were coming from. And it says in verse 9, so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I think that's one of the best prayers you could pray. And so Samuel goes into his room and he, and he shuts the door and he lays down on his little bed and he just listens until he hears that voice again and he says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You know, the old timers used to call it the prayer closet. Just having a place designated where you can go and you can get alone and you can get quiet with God. Now, listen, I'm not trying to make a a, a doctrine out of the closet. Maybe you have another room in your house that smells better than where you keep your shoes. That's fine, too. But get a place and a space where you can say, God, your servant is listening. I want to hear your voice. It reminded me this week as I was preparing of a story I read years ago about a a retired man who was really concerned about his wife's hearing. He was insisting that she go to the doctor to get her ears checked. She wouldn't listen. And so one day he decides, I'm going to make a point. And so he walks into the living room, and she's sitting in a high back chair facing the fireplace. and, And from across the room, he says, honey, I love you. Did you hear me? He hears nothing. So he comes halfway across the room, and he says, honey, I love you. Can you hear me? Still, she doesn't say anything. So he walks around the front of the chair, kind of sarcastically. He says, honey, I love you. Can you hear me now? Finally, she looks up from her needlepoint, and she says, yes, I can hear you. And for the third time, I love you. And I just wonder if maybe that's the way our prayer life is. The problem is not that God's not speaking or answering. The problem is that we're not listening. And we're saying, God, you're not listening. And he's going, you're not listening to me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Jesus said, you got to go into your room. And maybe for some of you that means you got to go out of some spaces. And then he says this, close the door in verse 6. Close the door. How many times have you intended to find a a space and just meet with God? Maybe it's at the kitchen table and you got a nice hot cup of coffee and your Bible's open and you're just ready to meet with the Lord and then all of a sudden 
your phone starts giving you a notification. Who, oh, that's right. I was supposed to call them. Oh, and then you start down that road. Or, or, or one of the kids come running in, and, and they've got questions, or, or, or somebody calls, and you've got to take care of something. How many times have you started with good intentions to go into that space that was designated as my place to meet with God, only to be interrupted? And so very practically, Jesus says, hey, when you get into that space, close the door. Like, turn the phone off. You know, I mean, I, I have the Bible app. I thank God that I can, like, open any translation of Scripture I want from anywhere. But I got to be honest. Sometimes I, I know if I leave that door open just because I chose to read it on the Bible app and not from an actual book, I, I'm going to get distracted. Somebody's going to ask me something. Somebody's going to send me a notification. I'm going to open my Bible app to read something, and instead I'm going to get caught up reading somebody else's comments on what they read. And the enemy can hijack a holy moment. Listen, we know the scripture says in Genesis 50 that God takes those things that the enemy meant for evil and he turns them for good. But can I tell you that the enemy wants to do the very opposite. He wants to take things that God meant for good and he wants to turn them for evil. So I'm not hating on social media or, or technology. I thank God on the other side of 2020 that the gospel advanced through technology in our generation. I'm just telling you that the enemy will use any means he can get his hands on to steal, kill, and destroy what God wants to do in your life. And sometimes he'll take something as simple as us not closing the door on distractions to hijack what the Spirit of God wants to teach us in a moment in his presence. So Jesus says very practically, when you pray, give yourself some space. Go into your room and close the door. Prayer is not most effective when it's multitask. There are times where we just need to come before the Lord to pray and do nothing but pray until we've heard from God. As I said it last week, I'll say it again. Prayer does not fit us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. So we've got to close the door on busyness. Here's the fourth thing. Jesus said in verse 6, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The reward comes out of the secret place. See, I, I don't think enough of us trust that. And, and I know we don't trust it because we lean into other people's affirmation for our personal devotion. Now, again, I thank God that we can encourage each other, and if God says, says something to me and, and it touches my life, there's been more than a few times that I've jumped on Twitter or, or Instagram and, and shared that scripture and posted that verse and, and just wanted to encourage somebody else. But in doing that, I've got to guard my own heart. I've got to know that the reward for my pursuit comes in the secret place. I don't need the validation of your likes. I don't need anybody else's hearts. I don't need anybody else to approve my spirituality by always taking it to a public space. Sometimes, can I just encourage somebody today? Sometimes when God speaks to you in the secret place, you need to write that thing down in a journal, not Facebook. You need to write that thing down in a place where it's just for you. Say, God, I'm not trying to at anybody. I'm just trying to let the Holy Spirit at me. Talk to me, God. And deal with my life. 
See, the, the beauty is that God is such a good father. I think this is a good rule of leadership that, that we praise publicly and we rebuke privately. And I think it's something that we see modeled in the heart of our father. There's times you have to correct people on your team, but you shouldn't embarrass them. You shouldn't shame them. Deal with it privately. Praise them publicly. And God, Jesus says, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to exalt you publicly, and he wants to deal with you privately. Hear me. Somebody needs to hear this today. If you're skipping your meeting in the secret place, you're forcing God's hand. He will deal with you publicly. It, it does no service to the kingdom of God to see godly people fall in a public way. It's the last thing that God wants, but hear me. If you skip out on the secret place, he will deal with you in the public space. So Jesus says, here's the pattern. If you'll just come and meet with God. Psalm 139 says, you were formed in the secret place. How many of you feel like you're not done yet? God's still shaping you. You know where he wants to do that? In the secret place. He wants to shape your life in the private space so that you can be lifted up in a public space. And then it says this in verse 7. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Now, here's what Jesus is not doing. He's not warning against repetitious prayer. In fact, Jesus prayed uh, many times the same prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed the same prayer three times. The Gospels tell us that. So he's not saying you shouldn't pray the same prayer. What he's warning against is this idea that just saying a bunch of words is going to make your prayers more potent. Or that saying the same thing hundreds of times is somehow going to win the favor of God. Just, just say this 25 times and, and it'll all be good. Jesus is saying that's not the way. That's not the way that you get the attention of your Father in heaven. Why? Because prayer is the way that we cultivate a relationship with God. Can you imagine if, if, if people talk to their spouse the way that some people pray? If you were having marital problems and the counselor told your spouse, I need you to spend 15 minutes a day talking. And so you come home from work and you're talking and you're telling your spouse about your day and then all of a sudden they go, well, time's up, sorry. And then just, I mean, how would that work, right? And yet some people have this mentality that if I pray for this long, if I say this many words, if I use this formula, that somehow that's going to get the heart of God. And God is looking so much deeper than our outward actions. Prayer is not a, a box to be checked off of spiritual disciplines. It's a relationship to be developed with your Father in heaven. So Jesus says, speak from your heart. That's what he's saying. Speak from your heart. And then finally, in verse 8, Jesus says, do not be like them, talking about the pagans. For your father, again, he says, he knows what you need before you ask. He, he already knows what you need before you ask. It doesn't say because he heard you the first time. It says he already knows before you ask. Some people think that if I, if I keep asking, that's a lack of faith. Well, that's silly. If asking again is a lack of faith, then asking the first time is a lack of faith. You should just have confidence that he heard you and he knew what you needed before you asked. No, he invites us to come. See, sometimes it's not that God needs more information from you. He's looking for your pursuit. 
He's looking for us to seek him, to desire him, to go after him a little more, to press into his presence because that relationship is what he died to give you. So we're going to do something right now. Jesus very practically lays out how we ought to pray. And then in verse 9, he gives us a template for prayer. So here's how we're going to end today. I want our musicians to come and to just facilitate this moment. We're just going to we're going to make an altar moment right here. I just want you to put your Bible down, put your pen down. We're going to close the door on this moment. We're going to let this be a God moment. And I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. If you're physically able, just stand with me. And look at verse 9 on the screen. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Notice he didn't say, this is what you should say. He said, this is how you should pray. In other words, I'm about to give you a model for prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer. Most of us have prayed it many times. Many of us know it. But I think some of us, we, we, we know just enough sometimes of, of the, the Scripture to be inoculated to its power. It's like we got just enough Jesus, like we got a, a Jesus vaccine. You can sit in church and hear all about him and not be touched by it. It's like I heard Dr. Tony Evans talk about two guys that were arguing about who was more spiritual. Who knows more of the Bible than the other? And the one guy's kind of puffing his chest out and he says, man, I can quote the whole Lord's Prayer. The guy said, you don't know the Lord's Prayer. I do know. I'll bet you $5 I can quote the Lord's Prayer. The guy said, you don't know the Lord's Prayer. He said, why? Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. The other guy, man, he just laughed. He laughed at him. He reached in his pocket. He pulled out five bucks. He said, man, I didn't think you knew it. See, sometimes we think we know, and we don't know. But Jesus gives us this prayer as a template. Not necessarily to say that this is what you always need to say, but this is how you should pray. And we're going to pray this way as we close this service today. And he begins in verse 9 saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What was he saying? He was saying praise and adoration is the way that you should come into God's presence. We should reverence his name. We should acknowledge when we come to God that he's God and I am not. And so hallowed be your name. Can we just take a few seconds right now? And just hallow the name of the Lord today. Would you praise his name with me? God, we thank you for your presence today. God, thank you that your throne is established. That your kingdom knows no end. Jesus, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, as the psalmist David said, praise the Lord, all my soul and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. God, you've been so good to us. You've been so faithful. If we don't say another thing, God, we ought to say thanks. God, today we give you glory and honor for who you are. Not just for what you've done for us, but because of who you are. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we praise your 
name. And then Jesus said this in verse 10. He said, your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as in heaven. This is intercessory prayer. This is intercession. This is where we say, God, we want your perfect will to be done in the earth. Now, I don't always know what the perfect will of God is. But I do know that in heaven, God's will is always accomplished. And so our position is, God, let your perfect will be accomplished in the earth. And can I tell you, interceding is more than just crying out to God. It's listening. And it's saying, God, would you show me your will? Show me your plans. So I want to invite you right now to take a posture of intercession with me. And let's ask that God's will be done. Father, today, as the church of Jesus Christ, as your representatives on the earth, Jesus, we ask that your will would be done. God, let it begin in us. God, as we humble ourselves to you and to your lordship, God, if there's anything in our life that is not moving in the direction of your purpose and your plan, God, redirect us. Order the steps of the righteous for your glory and for your namesake. God, right now we're looking across the landscape at situations that are hard to understand. God, in, in Afghanistan, we pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. God, let your will be done. Even now, as, as this hurricane is, is building power towards the Gulf Shores, God, we're asking, Lord, let your will be done. God, have mercy in the earth. In Jesus' name, Lord, we intercede for those in the Gulf Shores, for those in the Caribbean. God, we just lift them up in Jesus' name. God, we intercede today and ask that you would extend your mighty right arm in Jesus' name. And then verse 11, Jesus says, you ought to pray like this. He said, give us today our daily bread. You know, that's a petition. And honestly, most people, this is how they pray. When they pray, they ask God for the things they need, for the things they want. And, and all of our prayers shouldn't sound like this, but, but some of them can. Some of them should. And Jesus said, when you pray, it's okay to come to God with your needs. So let's do that right now. I don't know what you came in today needing. I don't know what was on your heart, what was on your mind. But so help you, God, don't leave still carrying it. This is the moment where we lay it down at the feet of Jesus, where we bring every burden, every care, and we place it at his feet. So right now, would you do it? Petition the Father. Jesus, right now, we're asking you to meet our needs. God, that you would give us this day our daily bread. Father, in Jesus' name, for those that have physical needs of healing right now, Lord, I thank you for the promise in your word that says, by the stripes Jesus bore at Calvary, I am healed. And we reach out today and we grab that provision off the table that you've prepared for us. God, for those that need uh, renewing in their mind, in their emotions, clarity in their thoughts, direction for their future. Lord, those that are battling anxiety or depression. Lord, let our minds be renewed right now as we fix our thoughts on Jesus, our supply, our provider, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. We look to you today, Jesus, to let the bread that came down from heaven satisfy our very needs. Jesus, you declared, I am the bread. So we cling to you, Jesus, to be our source 
to meet our needs right now. In Jesus' name. And then Jesus said, pray like this. In verse 12, he said, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That's a prayer of confession. That's a prayer of repentance. And how many of you know that's not just a prayer for lost people? Christians ought to be really good at repentance. Christians ought to be really good at confession. Because there are no perfect saints of God. And so time and time again, it ought to be a part of your rhythm and mind to just say, God, search me. The way that that David prayed in Psalm 51, David said, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So can we pray a prayer of confession today from your heart? Jesus, I don't want anything in my life to hinder the work that you're doing. God, I don't want anything in my life to block out or to deafen my spirit from hearing your voice. Jesus, if there's sin in my life, remove it. I repent, God. I repent today of my sin. And I thank you today for the promise in your word that says if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, we thank you today for forgiveness, for the one who served you for generations and for the one who's just coming to you by faith right now. In this moment, Jesus, we receive forgiveness of our sin. And Lord, we stand on the promise of your word in Isaiah that says, though your sins be as scarlet, he will wash them and make them whiter than snow. Jesus, wash us today in the blood. Wash us in the cleansing flow from Calvary's tree in Jesus' name. And then Jesus said, pray like this in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Did you know it's right to pray, God, deliver me from the evil one? This is a prayer of spiritual warfare. I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you joined Team Jesus, you enlisted in a battle. That there is an enemy that is at work in this world. I'm not one of those preachers that thinks there's a devil under every tree. I think there's two (laughs) under every tree. The enemy and his imps want to disrupt God's kingdom agenda in the earth. And it is right that we take our stance as the men and women of God and say, God, deliver us from the strong man. Deliver us from the enemy. God, give your angels charge over us. Protect and keep us. And can we just stand today and pray a prayer of spiritual warfare? God, we know that the enemy wants to disrupt and destroy the work that you're doing in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our nation. But God, we stand on the promise that says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. God, we thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God will be brought down. Lord, we 
stand in faith against the schemes of the enemy right now. In our church, in our family, in this world, God, in Jesus' name, bring deliverance. Deliver us from every scheme of the enemy. In Jesus' name. And then Jesus ends his prayer like this. He says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And you know what that is? That is a declaration of truth. And we should always remember that everything that we pray is built on the foundation of truth. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like praying. If my prayer life was based on my feelings, I wouldn't pray much. But my prayers are based on the truth. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That his kingdom knows no end. That the power is his, the kingdom is his, the glory is his. And so it's right that when we pray, we just declare that truth over our lives. That's why David could pray some like terrible, painful prayers. Like, God strike my enemies dead you know he crushed their children under a stone I mean he had some messed up prayers because his emotions were raw and they were real but then he would end it with like but blessed be the name of the Lord (laughs) you know forever be praised so can we just give God praise in this moment father right now we we invite you to again take your rightful place on the throne of our hearts and of our lives and of this church Jesus, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And your kingdom knows no end. You are forever to be praised. God, today we lift our voices. We declare your worth, your glory, and your honor. Be magnified, Lord, in everything that we say, in everything that we do. To your name be the glory and the honor, the majesty, the power, the dominion, and the might. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. Come on, now can we just give him praise today? Amen. Amen. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, God. We give you praise. Hallelujah. As we end this service today, I want to just encourage you this week. Go to your room. Close the door. Call out to your Father in the secret place. Because what you do in the secret place, God will reward publicly. I pray God bless you today, church, as we dismiss this service.